Father, as we journey through Lent, change us to be more like your son, Jesus. Help us to reflect the light of the glory of Christ to our generation. Bring your healing presence to all the nations. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Belprez. Welcome everyone watching online. We're excited to have Belprez High and Middle with us. My name is John Kim. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And I'm so excited to be here again and to share with you God's word. Now we're starting a new series called Mountains Move. Mountains have a tremendous significance throughout the scriptures. God meets us on mountains, challenges us on mountains, moves in power on mountains, and we discover God can move unmovable mountains in our life. So put on your hiking boots, bring your trekking poles, and let's journey together as we experience the gospel powerfully through the different mountains in Scripture. Now, probably one of the most famous mountains in the Bible is Mount Ararat. And if you remember the story of Noah, Mount Ararat is the resting place of the ark after the flood seen in Genesis chapter 8, verse 4. Mount Ararat is actually located in modern-day Turkey. To this day, there have been dozens of expeditions to the mountain to find Noah's ark. And while many have claimed to have found it, There's been no reputable archaeological organization that has proved its existence. One scientist explained that most likely the ark was used to build the first homes for Noah and his family, since the flood would have destroyed all the existing trees. So the search continues. But if you want to see a replica of the ark, you can go to Williamstown, Kentucky, to see what the ark might have looked like. And here's a cool pic of it. Now, as a child, we grew up hearing the stories of Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Yapheth, and how God saved Noah and the animals. Two by two, they came into the ark, and after the flood, God created a rainbow so it would remind us of God's everlasting faithfulness. Now, the childhood story gives us a simplistic view, but the scriptures reveal a deeper spiritual lens to see Noah's life and how his ark ended up on Mount Ararat. Now, I've never experienced a flood, but in Texas where I grew up, we have flash floods. Now, when I think of rain here in the Pacific Northwest, I call it a sprinkle. My first mistake moving to Seattle was buying an umbrella. A total noob mistake. Because no one in Seattle uses an umbrella. But in Texas, we have these flash floods where in the blink of an eye, it rains like no other. Buckets of water falling from the sky and very quickly streets, roads, and creeks can flood into dangerous levels. Now I know a lot of you ask me, How many life and death stories do I have? Well, I'm going to tell you another one. In college, I lived in Austin, Texas. And one night after a night of clubbing, and I'm just being transparent with you today, and I was quite the breakdancer back in the day, I asked my friend if I could drive his 1989 black Ford Mustang GT. Oh, baby, what a beautiful car. 
And as we started to drive back to the dorms, it started to rain. And I mean rain hard. We stumbled into a Texas flash flood. It was raining so hard that even with the windshield wipers on high, we could barely see the road. We were driving on the interstate highway, and of course, when you're driving a car like that, you're booking at 75 plus miles an hour. As we were driving, I began to have this weird feeling come over me. And I looked at my friend, and I said, dude, it feels like we're floating. <laughs> and, so, and times seemed to stop once again for me. And in that moment, I knew that we were hydroplaning on the road. I began to test the brakes and turning the steering wheel, and nothing happened. And then we started to spin out of control. There were cars all around, all around us, and I absolutely knew for the 10th time in my life I was finally going to die. <laughs> now, for some of us, we might be caught up in a flash flood in life. A flood-like situation so devastating that we're not sure if we're going to make it. Whether that is losing a family member, being laid off from work, financial troubles, your marriage coming to an end, school issues, health problems, depression and anxiety bringing suicidal thoughts, the pressure around you squeezing your very life. And the story of Noah's Ark and how it ends up on Mount Ararat will bring you freedom and healing today. Now the story begins with one person, and that's Noah. And that is so key. Because God is personal. He desires to be in a relationship with you. In essence, the story is about a lifelong journey between one person and God. It's deeply personal. We see that Noah walked with God when no one else was. And because of his walk with God, he was considered righteous and blameless. You see the distinction? Righteous and blameless was a description of his walk with God. It wasn't that Noah was perfect, but what made him righteous and blameless was that he walked with God every day of his life. His whole life was spent in doing that which God would have him do. He was different from everyone else. A strangely interesting man. Because his goal in life was to please God and not to please others. While others of his time were living for themselves, he lived for God. You know, it's easy to walk with God here on a Sunday. We show up, we see the people we want to see. We say the things we want to say, but what about in the privacy of your own time? What about your own thoughts and actions when you're alone? An earnest walking with God is not just a Sunday thing. It's your complete life in a close, intimate relationship. There's an excellent blog written by Daniel Mikowski titled, The Weakness and Strength of Being an Autistic Christian. It's a great read because he shares his experience with his autism spectrum disorder. Now, some of the symptoms are failure to develop friendships, inability to empathize, un unable to make eye contact, social awkwardness. He goes on to share the difficulties of being connected to the church as a whole. While he may be different, 
He, like anyone else who truly walks with God, loves the Lord with all his heart, mind, and soul, and tries to love others around him. I find that sometimes the most difficult place to find connection is in the church. When we see people different from ourselves, like a Daniel, we tend to judge and not understand. We tend to look to the outward appearance and assume everyone else should be like us and forget that it's the walk that matters and the walk that a person has with God and not with you. We are not the judge of a person's walk with God. God knows the heart and everything within it. It's especially hard here on the east side where wealth, affluence, status make it difficult to be different. Within the last decade, things have changed very quickly here on the east side. The diversity and who our neighbors are look very different. And because of the pressures to conform, we lose ourselves and forget how God has created us to be. But we can be counterculture. And one way is to purposefully develop relationships with someone very different from yourself. Get to know your neighbors, your coworkers who are not like you. Bring over a pie, buy a latte, start a conversation. That's all it takes, a simple conversation. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 7. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about the things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Here, Noah's walk begins to take shape. Noah had a relentless faith to obey God, even though he did not fully understand what he was being asked to do. Faith involves things not seen. I mean, look at this. God told Noah to build an ark where there was no water. The ark in today's terms was one and a half football fields long and four stories high. Noah never saw rain before God had told him there was going to be a flood. Now get this. It took Noah 120 years to build the ark. Can you imagine the ridicule and the berating he must have gotten from people around him? It was an impossible task to build an ark. I mean, he only had eight people to help him. But Noah had a genuine faith. And a genuine faith always leads to action. For 120 years, he chopped down trees, but he never gave up. Faith means obedience. This passage in Hebrews says that because Noah had faith, he obeyed God. And by faith, Noah, when warned about the things that had never happened before, he built a large boat to save his family. Now let me ask you this. Has God given you that gift of faith? If so, you need to put it to good use. I'm not saying they can earn righteousness in the eyes of God, but if you want to know if your faith in Him is real, the test is to ask yourself whether or not you are obeying His commands, His leading, His nudges. God might not be calling you to build a literal ark, but He is calling you to trust Him in all sorts of ways. So where is God calling you and asking you to exercise faith today? Maybe He wants you to expand your family 
by adopting a child. Maybe he wants you to use your retirement years serving in the mission field here on the east side or in another country. Maybe he wants you to work on your marriage at a marriage conference or in counseling. Maybe he wants you to respond to the call of justice and get involved in our justice and racial reconciliation work. Maybe he wants you to do something totally unexpected and new. Maybe he wants you to simply stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in him. God is calling us to put our faith in him. Faith leads to obedience. Whatever your particular ark looks like, are you willing to build it? For 120 years, Noah built his ark. Look at 2 Peter, what 2 Peter 2.5 says about Noah. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Not only did Noah spend his work day chopping down trees and building the ark, he was also a preacher. His day job was shipbuilder, and his night job was being a preacher. It's pretty amazing. Noah is a great example of what it looks like to serve God in the workplace and in the church. One of the things I love about serving here at Belprez is you. Many of you work long hours as business owners, students, entrepreneurs, hourly workers, professionals, even longer hours as stay-at-home parents, caretakers. And even with all those responsibilities, you serve God, whether it's volunteering at KidReach, Family Life Ministries, Eastside Academy, Jubilee Reach, or within the many different ministries we have here at Belprez. Thanks, Belprez, because you all rock. Now, when you think about God's wrath and destruction of every living thing on earth, you also have to think about how Noah spoke every day to ask the people to repent and turn from their wicked ways. 120 years, not only just building an ark, but 120 years of messages of returning back to God. Turn from your path of selfishness and come back to a relationship with Him. The best part of Noah's preaching career is that after all that time, after all those messages, he converted not one person. How's that strategic? And, st and how is that as a statistic for a preacher? Not one person outside his family responded to the message of repentance. He would have been a failure as a pastor in today's church. It's interesting. Today, we value a pastor on his preaching and speaking abilities. How large the church is. How large the budget is. But what do you think matters to God? It's faithfulness, obedience, and Noah had both. Have you ever given up on a person? Maybe they made a terrible mistake or made a judgment in error. Maybe continual after continual breaking of promises. Would you ever forgive that person? Here in Genesis, God's willingness to forgive was not bound by one year or a decade or even a generation. But over a century, 120 years to be exact. If God was willing to wait that long, shouldn't we be willing to wait 
and to forgive and to restore others. In an interview with Real Simple, domestic violence survivor Pascal Cavanaugh said that she never thought she would reconnect with her mother, her abuser, during her adult life. However, in 2010, her mother suffered several strokes that left her unable to communicate or take care of herself. With no one else to help, Kavanaugh began to help her mother. Through this, Kavanaugh said, the hate that she had for her mother dissipated into forgiveness and love. God saved her in a counterintuitive way. And, everyone, and not everyone's path to forgiveness looks like hers. But if we're honest, true forgiveness seems like an unmovable mountain. Forgiving others when they have hurt us is rare. But with God, he can move unmovable mountains. He can turn brokenness into wholeness. If God was willing to forgive and wait 120 years, we can at least start with prayer. Asking God to change our own hearts. When God commanded Noah to build the ark, he told Noah to cover the ark inside and out with pitch. He had to seal the boat with it, and pitch is what keeps the water out. Now, the Hebrew word for pitch is kafar, which means to cover, to make reconciliation with. And it's also the same root for the word atonement. So get this. While the flood was the result of the judgment of God on fallen and sinful humankind, isn't it interesting that God used the word kafar in telling Noah to cover the ark with pitch? The ark becomes the symbol of God's salvation and the atonement or covering from God's judgment. This all points to Jesus, his life, his death, and resurrection, which seals the eternal destiny of anyone who comes to God by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is your ark of safety. You don't need to look anywhere else. Jesus gave his life up for you. He loved you so much that he was willing to go to the cross, suffered a gruesome death. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead, came back to life, and you can trust in him. You can place your faith in Jesus today. Now, when we finally come to the ark resting on Mount Ararat, we know from looking at the text, Noah and his family had been in the ark for a little over a year. I don't know about you, but I can't even imagine what it must have been like to be in that closed-off boat full of thousands of animals. I mean, the zoo smell alone must have been crazy. I mean, I think you and I can agree that God's timing is definitely not our own timing. I love this cartoon of the note the lions left for the gazelles when they landed, right? You get a 10-second head start. It must have been an amazing sight to see land again, to be able to worship and offer sacrifices to God, to breathe fresh air again. Noah waited a long time, but his faith and relationship with God was constant. The 120 years of not understanding why God asked him to build a boat on dry land, the pressures and seemingly failure of preaching to a lost generation, 
the uncertainty of over a year of waiting within the ark, not knowing if he and his family would survive, freedom and healing came as a result of faithfulness and obedience to God. The rainbow, a beautiful image of God's promised of God's promises fulfilled. Mount Ararat for Noah and his family meant new life, new beginnings, and a new start. Now let me take you back to the middle of the flash flood in Texas because we were spinning out of control. I blacked out in the driver's seat and I came to realizing we didn't die. I looked at my friend and said, hey, are you okay? And as I began to look around, I realized that we, have, we came to a complete stop on the road. And the next thing I knew, a man knocked on my window and he asked if we were okay. And he said, the police and the emergency services were on their way. He said, you know, it's a miracle you kids are still alive. He told me that the Mustang spun out of control and ended up on the opposite side of the highway in direct oncoming traffic. He was driving an 18-wheeler. About a quarter of a mile away, he saw the car spinning out of control, crossing over the highway, and so he immediately jackknifed his truck to stop any cars from passing him. He said from the elevated cab, he saw it all happen and was able to immediately act and prevent anyone from hitting us. You might be going through a difficult time, a crucible, pain unimagined, but know that God sees you. Like that truck driver, God sees your life, your heart. He knows your pain, knows your hurts, understands your faults and weaknesses, and is able to direct your path, block the evil, prevent the harm, bring you out of darkness into light, and put you in a place of safety, elevate you so that you stand above the fray, all because of Jesus. Jesus loves us above all else. He gave up his life for us so that we can experience a new life, be a new creation. Not for us to be idle, sit around enjoying a selfish life, but to live life to the abundance, doing his purposes, bringing his healing where we live, work, play, or learn. Our ultimate purposes are his because he has saved us. The atonement of Christ covered our sin. We have been forgiven, been made alive, no longer dead, but full of the power of the Holy Spirit to stand on mountains of life, not because it's been easy, but because we have fought the good fight. We have obeyed when it wasn't easy, when no one was looking. We live for the audience of one, and that's for Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for being the ark of salvation for us. Thank you for the promise of never leaving us and forsaking us. Help us to carry our scars as you did in love without reserve. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.